He stood atop the dry coral, looking down on the waves below. His friends had already jumped and would soon be climbing out of the water and climbing up to most likely jump again. It was best to jump between the waves, he was told. Waiting for the right time to jump, one of his friends gave up on waiting for him and gave him a countdown. Three, two, one. He jumped. Most stories don't begin with a cliffhanger, but it isn't rare to find one somewhere in a story. And if you were here last week, don't worry. I believe this story hasn't been told from this pulpit before. Everyone seems to love a good story. And let's be honest, every writer seems to love a good cliffhanger. You don't have to be a writer to be a storyteller, though. We often tell or capture stories in pictures. In fact, capturing stories on camera, either a picture or video, is now such a big deal. Big deal. We all carry cameras with us in our pockets, basically at all hours of the day, each and every day. We even take pictures of our meals and we post them for all the world to see. Just like back in the day when you would take a picture of your meal, to take the film to go get developed and go show all your neighbors and hang it up somewhere in the town square for everyone to admire. Oh wait, that was never a thing? Hmm, maybe we should rethink that one then. Anyways, another big thing in the world of pictures today is the selfie, which is apparently a real word now because Microsoft Word didn't tell me it was misspelled when writing this sermon. A lot of people are against selfies for a number of reasons, and while some of those reasons maybe have some merit, I'm not against all selfies. If you don't know what a selfie is, it's essentially a picture of the person taking the picture. Sometimes it has more people or more things in it, but if you still don't get it, let's try it out. See? I'm in the picture, so are all of you guys. Scoot in, make a face. Now everyone in the choir is very glad that they were in the choir this morning. And now all of you are thinking, wow, I can't wait until he goes back to Andrew's now. If last week's sermon didn't make you think that, that selfie just did. If you're worried about what is to come of this picture, you can rest assured that since I didn't ask your permission, it will not be on any form of social media. But speaking of social media, that might be the best way to prove that people today are interested in keeping track of their stories. On Facebook, you'll find posts, pictures, articles, videos, and more about what people are doing with their lives, what they care about, what they stand for, who their friends are, and the list goes on. Twitter, you can post 140 character snippets of your life. Instagram, you can post pictures of your adventures or meals. Snapchat, you can send pictures or videos that last only up to 10 seconds to certain friends or everyone on your friends list. Would you like to know what it's called 
when you post it for all of your friends to see on Snapchat? If I had taken that selfie earlier on Snapchat and gotten everyone's permission to post it, I could have put it up for all of my friends to see on my story. That's what it's called. Facebook calls it your wall or your profile, but Snapchat comes out and says right what it is. All the pictures and videos people post on Snapchat are part of their stories. So that's what Snapchat chose to call it. Simple as that. On all of these forms of social media, anyone can post their stories and find out more about their friends' stories, too. Now, what is it about a story that you like? Of course, this answer will be different for everyone. When it comes to your friends, perhaps that's all it takes. You care about their story because they're your friend. Maybe it's the wow factor. Even if it's someone you don't know well, but they went skydiving, you want to hear about it. There are a number of famous storytellers that use or have used these elements and many more to grab people's attention. They make you care about their characters. They provide you with an epic tale. Whatever the case may be, they do something to catch your attention. In William Shakespeare's Hamlet, there's the theme that life's not fair. So many horrible things have happened to poor Hamlet's life, and the story is essentially watching them unfold and watching him respond. Rough things happen in our lives, too. So perhaps we enjoy his story because we feel that we can relate to his hardships. Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde has an outward showing of one's inward struggle with their good and bad sides. In our lives, we struggle between right and wrong, and this story does a good job of portraying that. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens shows character growth. It shows that no matter how far gone someone is or you think they are, there is still hope for them. Maybe what you like most in a story is simply the fun. It doesn't have to be deep. Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson series is perfect for that as the heroes jump from one adventure to the next. There are stories that make statements, like Susan Collins' Hunger Games trilogy, which some interpret as a drastic and graphic commentary on this world's horrible priorities. Superheroes often face tough moral decisions, which are intensified due to the abilities that they have. Perhaps one might follow their storylines to see what choices are made, or consider what choices they would make in those situations. Love stories are popular because most everyone dreams of finding that special someone. Fairy tales are often used to teach simple messages, similar to parables, which are stories used to help make a point. I think we all know someone who told a few of those. Allegory, like C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, can be a way to use stories to help educate or make certain points about another topic or story. In the case of these stories, the allegory is to help teach others about a much more important story. A concerned mother 
once wrote a letter to C.S. Lewis stating that she was worried about her eight-year-old child because they loved Aslan more than Jesus. C.S. Lewis's response was interesting. He wrote back saying not to worry about it. In time, your child will learn to see the things loved in Aslan are also in Jesus. No matter your opinion on his response, Lewis did write the character of Aslan to help teach children about Jesus, meaning his response is accurate. The lovable attributes in Aslan can be found even more abundantly in Jesus. Stories can be used for entertainment, education, and sometimes both at the same time, maybe without the observer even realizing it. That's why I've decided to tell you my testimony, my story today. Here it goes. I was born into an Adventist family. As I grew up, I made some mistakes, but I eventually made the faith my own. I keep making mistakes, but I've stuck with Christ, and I'm here today. I know. I know what you're thinking. That was so touching. and heartwarming. How dare I not warn you to pull out your tissues before beginning? No, that was boring. Yes, it had a good ending, and maybe some of you cared about those two sentences because you know and care about me, thank you, but there was nothing in those two sentences to make anyone care about me or the outcome. There were no details, no struggle, no fun, no visuals of growth, nothing. When you write a story, you usually have to give someone a reason to care, like all those other stories and types of stories I listed earlier. Maybe there are some on that list that you don't care about, but you have to admit that there's something to care about to someone, otherwise they wouldn't be classics, they wouldn't be popular, or they wouldn't keep being used. The amazing thing is, when it comes to your story, you don't have to do anything to get God to care. I'd like to illustrate this fact by introducing you to my favorite judge from the book of Judges. It's fun having people guess. Usually they, people rule out Samson and Gideon because they're too obvious. So they guess Deborah, Jephthah? Ehud? All good options, but no. I'm going to read to you the entire story of my favorite judge in the book of Judges. So sit tight, stick with me. His story starts in Judges 3.31. I will read it all for you. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. The end. That is literally all we get about Shamgar's story. He's mentioned a little later, but it's really just a mention. There's no more details about his story. I don't know about you, but I read that, and the story lover in me goes nuts. Details. Where are the details? We know his name, 
his dad's name, how many Philistines he killed, and that he did it with an ox goat? When I first read this, I had no clue what an ox goat was, so I looked it up. It's a 10-foot-long pole with a metal flat side at one end and a metal pointy side at the other. It's used to push and prod your oxen along as you plow. 10 feet long. So let's say Shamgar is six feet tall. He stands this thing next to him, and it shoots up another two-thirds of his height. This isn't something you carry to war, or even carry around town with you. So how did this go down? We don't know. Was he out plowing his field? He saw them coming and was like, here we go. We don't know. Even the fighting styles that use a stick or a staff, it's usually only the length of the person. Not much shorter, not much longer. I also like the end of verse 31. And he also saved Israel. It sounds like a... Oh, by the way, a passing comment, side notes, no big deal. I mean, he only saved Israel. Details. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the author made a mistake. Perhaps this was all that was needed for the record, or that we need today. It's just that I, wanting a good story, am a little upset by this one's presentation, or lack thereof. Whether the author cared much about Shamgar or not, we don't know. How much you care is up to you. But God cares about Shamgar and his story. Matthew 10, 29 through 31 makes it clear that God does. It also makes it clear that God cares about each and every one of us. Matthew 10, 29 through 31, feel free to find it in your Bible or on your connection card as I read it for you. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. God knows the numbers of hairs Shamgar had on his head. He knows the number of hairs on my head, even when I try to keep him guessing, beard, no beard, shave, not shave. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. He cares so much, and he wants you to be who he made you to be. Our scripture reading does a good job of stating that fact, which is Psalms 139, 13 through 16. I'll read it again for you. For you formed my inward parts... You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. The imagery here is wonderful. 
Earlier we talked about recording stories and words or pictures. Poets seem to have a gift of painting a picture with words. David writes that God had his days planned before he even had any days to plan. We are intricately made by him. Love that word, intricately. In his image, he has given us our own spiritual gifts. And he has a plan for you. Last week, we talked about things that we wish we could change or should change because they're bad. But there are also things about us that should change because they're good. I don't mean change as in get rid of, but change as in grow. There's a reason God made you. There's a reason you are who you are. Because of sin, there's also a reason you often aren't who you are, but God made you to be you, to be his. For example, our cliff-jumping friend from earlier. I didn't really give you enough details to care about him, but God cares about him. As he was falling through the air, feeling the wind hitting the water, resurfacing, he enjoyed every minute of it. Well, it was probably a matter of seconds, but he wished it could have been minutes. He looked up at the rest of the group, standing on the coral cliff, and decided it was time to rejoin them. The cliff jutted out from the rest of the coral, so it was a further distance to swim back to, but it wasn't that much of a difference. He began to swim back so he could climb back up, join his friends, and who knows, maybe even jump again. He was curious why no one else was jumping back in, but he didn't think much of it. After swimming for a little while, he figured he should be by the coral by now, so he stopped to look up. He was rather confused when he hadn't made any progress. In fact, it's possible he was further from the coral. Remembering that the others had said the current was strong that day, he began to panic and frantically started swimming back harder this time. Every now and then he would stop to check his progress, but he was only advancing mere inches when he was, had, to go mere, had to go multiple feet. As time went by, he realized that he couldn't afford to waste his energy to check his progress. He would simply have to keep swimming and hope he made it. The current and the waves soon turned his breathing into choking, and he decided to try calling for help. When he did, it was pathetic. He could barely hear it. Of course, nobody else would be able to, and all it accomplished was wasting more air. Now there's conflict. Now there's a struggle. Maybe you've even started to care about this fellow, wanting to know how his story ends. A friend of mine once wanted me to read a certain story about a character we both are fans of. We both had read stories about this character before, but he had read more, and he really wanted me to read this one. I was hesitant, 
Because in this story, the hero met God. And I don't mean that how most people today use it, either he died or became a Christian, but I mean that God was a character in this story that our hero talked to. I'm often hesitant when a movie, TV show, or book choose to portray God or Jesus in some way because I worry if they'll do it correctly or if they'll simply make fun of him. My friend finally convinced me to read it because he wanted to know my thoughts. In this story, our hero has just tried to save the day but failed. Because of this failure, innocent lives were lost, and the hero blamed himself. God shows up, and they begin to have a conversation. Their conversation takes them to a beach that is swarming with people. It's incredibly crowded, and eventually, our hero gives up and asks, God, why are we here? Isn't there a better place for us to talk without so many people? God's answer was simply, these are the people that wouldn't be here today if you weren't who you are. I'm not saying you should read this story. I'm not saying it was the most theologically accurate work or even well-done literature, but it has a point a point that we just proved biblically as well. God has made you, you, for a reason. I feel so honored and blessed that God was able to use me to teach this lesson before. It was at camp meeting. We were waiting for the rest of the kids to get picked up, and the other leaders were on the other side of the room, while I was picking songs for the next meeting's song service. The kids were all on the other side, too, except for one. She was playing with a toy, having fun, and I was smiling and chuckling, listening to her play. Soon after, I noticed she got quiet. So I looked up to see her looking down, literally and figuratively. I was about to ask her what was wrong, but she beat me to it. She asked, you think I'm silly, don't you? I smiled and said, you bet I do. But silly can be good. I'm silly too. Silly keeps you from being boring and keeps you being yourself. She smiled back and went right back to playing with her toy. Maybe silliness isn't everyone's way to stay themselves, but silliness can be used by God along with any other traits that make you who you are. God put those traits, those characteristics, those gifts in you for a reason. He has a plan for you. So you can probably guess what verse we're going to next. That's right, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Do I even have to look it up, you wonder? We all know it so well. 
Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a good verse. There's a reason we all know it so well. It often shows up around graduation time. It's often brought up to help people who don't know what step to take next in their life, in their story. But have you ever read past it? Those next couple verses are important too. Verses 12 and 13 are powerful too, but they're almost never looked at. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's another important step in living your life in living your story. Yeah, it's great that God's got plans for you, but if you want them to come to fruition, it's kind of helpful to call to him, to pray to him, to seek him with most of your heart. Wait, is that what it said? I'm sorry, all of your heart. Where did our cliff diver go wrong? Was it jumping off the coral in the first place? I don't think so. Was it that he didn't start swimming really hard until later? No, he didn't know. Was it that he tried to use some air to call for help? I doubt it. I think it had a chance to be beneficial. When did he pray? If you're trying to remember when he did and can't, that's because he didn't. I believe that someone who actively and continuously pursues God with all of their heart probably would have remembered to pray. We are sinful, so there's a chance otherwise, but I think the chances are more towards they would have thought to pray in the same situation because they probably pray in more situations in general. Searching for God with all your heart does not mean most of your heart. It doesn't mean that out of the things your heart's searching for, it's searching for God the hardest. It doesn't mean that if your heart was a pie chart, the largest section would be searching for God, it means that the whole chart would be one section. God doesn't want most of your heart. He wants all of it. God cares about your story, but if we were to truly search for him with all of our hearts, maybe we'd care a bit more about his story. Maybe instead of asking God what he wants from our lives, we should ask him how our stories can match his. Luckily for me, my story didn't end that day. Caught in the strong current that I willingly and eagerly jumped into.
It's important to note that it wasn't anything in my power that got me out. It was his. God saved me. Again. He didn't save me for my sake, or just save me for my sake. He saved me for his sake, too. Not because he needs me, he definitely does not need me, but because he wants me. He wants my story to be his story. He wants you, too. He wants your story to be his story, too. So please, call out to him. Pray to him. Search for him with all your heart, just like Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13 say. I don't know what's coming up next for your story. I don't know what's coming up next for my story. I guess I know the big picture, seminary, but I don't know the details yet. And there is one more thing I would like to say about my story. As I said, I don't know what's coming. After seminary, Chesapeake has picked me up. They'll have a position for me somewhere, but I don't know where. The thought occurred to me at some point this summer that this summer might be my last time continuously attending Spencerville. During seminary, of course, I'll come back on breaks. I'll come back for special events, alumni, Sabbath, baptisms, whatever the case may be. And who knows, maybe eventually I will be positioned back here in this conference. But there is a chance that this might be my last time. So before going, I wanted to thank you for being a part of my story. I've seen people come. I've seen people go. Maybe you've seen me come. Maybe you're going to watch me go. Whatever role you had, I thank you. I thank you. Because I don't know what's coming next. All I know is that if we let God make our stories his story, it'll all work out. One way or another, it'll all work out. Seeking God with all your heart means that living your story is telling his. <laughs>